This is the Feast of St. Luke transferred, as they say. Uh, the, the liturgical rules in the Episcopal Church permit uh, transferring your patronal festival to the nearest Sunday. So actually, St. Luke's Day is tomorrow, the 18th. But since this is the 17th, we can do it in pretty good order. I realize every year I preach about St. Luke's and what's happened to this sermon is, is that it's been added to and added to rather than... Uh, so what I'm going to do, though, is speak... I think the core of it is um, some things that I did uh, looked into this week about the, the, the religious themes of Luke's gospel, which I found very interesting and I think are helpful to all of us because we want to appropriate... Uh, what our patron saint uh, in some way believes to be important about the Christian faith and life. It's a privilege to be the rector of a church dedicated to St. Luke. The interesting thing is, is that there are more churches dedicated to St. Luke in this diocese than any other church. And I, I looked it up, St. Luke's Los Gatos, St. Luke's Hollister, St. Luke's Halone, and St. Luke's in Atescadero. So when Bishop Block was flying in his little Piper Club over land in this uh, diocese of California, you know, I don't think it's an apocryphal story. He actually would drop a flower sack and it would hit the land where he was wanted to sit, build it there, you know, and the flower would mark the location. So that was the great building period. So he must have thought that St. Luke was an important saint. Um, those were the days when I don't think local congregations had quite the say they may now with regard to the dedications uh, that they want to have for their, for their parishes. But, you know, the origin of patron saints or naming churches after saints is very ancient. It first, first was the uh, naming of, of places over which they built a church that was a martyr's location. So that is, in Luke, of course, is a martyr. We wear red vestments today, which is a, a, the color for martyrs. And uh, so that was probably the first location. But also, I think patron saints have something to do with how the church and its tradition uh, have understood who these particular saints, what they stood for and how they understood themselves. So uh, that's an important thing. So let me say some general things about the gospel. If you go, if you, I, I kid about this and say if you're going to appear to be like you're really in the know, you should always refer to this as Luke Acts, because Luke and Acts were written by the same person, and there it is the full expression of what the themes are for Luke have to do with both Luke and Acts. On one level, Luke is the great historian of the New Testament. And he believes keenly in the importance of history and how it has been transformed by the mighty works of God in Jesus Christ. And so now you and I are living in a period that we call the history of salvation. History has been transformed. And the gospel itself is about this history being lived in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the possessor of the Holy Spirit of God. And when we move to the book of Acts, there is a transfer of this Holy Spirit from the person of Jesus to the people of God, we call the church. So you and I become 
both the fiduciaries and the beneficiaries of the Holy Spirit. We have some stewardship or custody over the Holy Spirit of God. Luke is a doctor. There's no reason to assume that he was not. And as I've mentioned more than once, there are more healing stories in Luke's gospel than in any of the other uh, gospels. So he was certainly interested in Jesus' healings and what those things meant. So that's some important general stuff about this. Also, Luke talks more about issues of justice and equity uh, than any of the other gospel writers. And this can be understood if we talk about what the themes are. And I thought it was very interesting to talk about that. So let's do it. In the first theme that's part of Luke's writing, he, he by the way, uh, his Greek is the best. He is the Shakespeare of the New Testament. And he writes very well. And he has a very uh, terrific narrative style. So he's a Gentile, and his community, the community out of which this gospel emerged, were Gentile Christians. And my suspicion, I said this a couple of weeks ago, is that this community of Christians contains some prosperous and well-heeled Gentile members. And so they're struggling now about a generation or two out of the Christ event itself and saying, how are we going to be as Christian people faithful? How are we going to live and what are we going to do? So this gospel was written probably uh, around 80 or 85 AD. So if Jesus uh, was crucified, died on the cross, rose again from the dead in 33 AD, then we're talking about 50 years later. So we have about two generations. Uh, of people. So this is a third generation group. Uh, He probably knew Paul because he was a young man. So if 2 Timothy, which we read today, is Pauline, uh, this Luke was a young man with him uh, in his missionary work. So he probably knew Paul, and it's entirely reasonable to assume this. So here's the first thing that's on Luke's mind. He believes in what we would call world affirmation. He believes that we're not all seeking to go somewhere else to um, experience the promises of God, but that the world itself is the arena of human history and activity, and he is approving of human culture being compatible with Christianity. Luke and Acts are the least apocalyptic writings of the New Testament. So Luke isn't talking about, you know, some apocalyptic occurrence that's going to happen, that somehow uh, the teaching of Jesus, the saving work of Christ, all of this is happening somehow in human history. And it's the human history that has been transformed by the presence and the power of God. So Luke believes that our human culture is compatible with Christianity, and he also is the least sectarian of all of the gospel writers, which means that he is not interested, he's generally approving of people outside the Christian movement. He doesn't uh, uh, spend a whole lot of time uh, acting badly in that regard, in my opinion. 
So Luke affirms the world and understands it as the location for how you and I come to understand God's purpose for each one of us personally and corporately. But just because he affirms the world uh, doesn't mean that all human conduct gets approved. And so the second great theme is something that biblical scholars call the great reversal. And the great reversal is that all of the people who have traded on their prominence, on being part of a special elite, on their prosperity in a way that seeks to uh, discriminate or to speak ill of those different from themselves or less fortunate than themselves, are going to discover that in the end, when things get sorted, it's going to get reversed. So people who are considered lowly and poor and belonging to groups that are uh, less than socially acceptable have found through the teaching of Jesus that God's acceptance. And by virtue of that, uh, there needs to be some transformation in the thinking of the people who are in these positions of um, power and influence. And I, as I said to you, I expect that in his community there were a number of them, a number of Gentile Christians who, who were and who were struggling now to see things in a new way. So in Luke and in the book of Acts, you see constantly both Jesus and then the early apostles in the book of Acts challenging human complacency and security and saying, you know, we need to rethink this and understand it uh, in a different way. So, you know, people who are fortunate and who have influence uh, don't need to spend their lives justifying themselves. They need to spend their lives in some way understanding how they can be instruments of God's mercy and instruments of God's compassion. So the poor aren't some sort of morally privileged group. They are, for Luke, a symbol of uh, everybody who has been rejected by the elites uh, and have found acceptance with God. And so the default position for Lucan Christians is to always be concerned for those on the margins. Now, this sort of prophetic message, Luke understands uh, Jesus to be in the line of the great prophets of Israel, but as unique. The last great prophet of Israel for Luke was John the Baptist. He culminates all of the prophecy of the Old Testament in himself. But for Jesus, he takes prophecy now to a new level. And by virtue of that, the community of faith we call the church is the group now that sort of continues to advance that prophetic agenda, that agenda or to be witnesses. And it's for a purpose. The conversation that I just had with you or the, the, the preaching thing that I just did about the fact that we're talking about the great reversal is not for the purpose of dwelling on bad things that are going to happen to people who are satisfied with themselves. It's about God's saving power for everybody. So salvation is something that is one of the themes in Luke's gospel. Everywhere the word of God, which is the next theme, 
salvation in the word of God is present now both to transform and to inform with regard to how we understand our common life together and what it is that we ought to do and how we ought to order society and what it is that's important. And this produces in the human person conversion. Uh, in Acts, we have a story of perhaps the great conversion, and that's Paul. And he, for, for Luke, exemplifies uh, how we understand uh, somebody who turns their life around based on the presence of Christ. Remember, Paul came first thought that uh, Christian people were um, the enemies of the people of the covenant and that he spent a fair amount of time in his early life persecuting Christians, and then he had a transformative experience. And he realized that uh, not only was he transformed, but he needed to give his life over to assisting in that process with other people. So Luke talks about uh, the demands of the prophetic witness to convert, to turn around and look at your life in a new way. And finally, Luke is concerned about the response of faith, that because of this converted experience, because of understanding God's saving power, that you now are going to change your social behavior. You're going to change the way that you relate to other people. You're going to uh, do this because you want to imitate God. Or as you hear me say all the time, you understand Jesus is the template you lay over your own spiritual life and development. And how you understand its importance as you live your life. So these themes are going to keep flowing through all of Luke Acts. And we're going to read about them in the person of Jesus and in his teaching and in his words and in his works. And then we're going to hear them continued among the apostles as they seek to move out now and to uh, be witnesses to all this. So Luke stands for this. It's really, to me, recapitulated in the reading from uh, Luke in the gospel today, which is the story of Jesus going into the synagogue in his hometown. Um, one of the side interesting things about this gospel is that it tells us something about the fact that Jesus knew how to read. It's one of the places where he goes into the synagogue and he reads the Hebrew text. And he, he reads from Isaiah and he reads a great uh, a section about God's liberating power. And he tells all the people in the synagogue, we have, by the way, dug up a lot of these synagogues now in the area around the Galilee and so on. And we know what the buildings look like. So they would be like this room and they would have seats all around the edge and something in the middle like a table where the scroll got unrolled. And he would go stand there and he would read that section. And then he'd go sit down in a chair and he'd preach, essentially. So that's what he did. And he said, what you just heard read to you from the book of the prophet Isaiah has been fulfilled today in your hearing in me. In my words and in my works, you have seen now the testimony 
for God's liberating power. So all the ways, sight to the blind, liberty to the captive, uh, the oppressed going free, uh, can be understood in very broad terms. They can be understood in personal, spiritual, emotional, and mental terms. They can be understood in social terms. They can be understood in churchy, religious, ecclesiastical terms about God's liberating power and the freedom that it brings. And so Luke stands for all this. And of course, what undergirds for him everything is that God saves, and he understands that he's a doctor, God saves and God heals, because it's the same word. So Luke is the great sort of proclaimer in the New Testament about God's saving healing power. So this week, think about um, being a part of a church dedicated to St. Luke. Give thanks for uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen you, which is what Luke talks about more than any other gospel writer. And see if you can uh, bring a closer correspondence between uh, believing that and having faith in it and having it impact your life. One of the things I didn't mention was is that Luke, uh, in his understanding of how we, we see the response of faith, was that now I have a completely new relationship with what I, my stuff, my possessions. And I'm beginning to be engaged in a continuous dialogue about uh, living in this tension. We don't get anywhere in Luke the necessity for total renunciation. He's not telling anybody to do that. We do get a, a continuous conversation about what is the right relationship I have to have with, I need to have with my chains, with my possessions, with my substance. And how can I benefit those near and dear to me with them but also uh, maintain the generous impulse. And that that means the willing to give and extend without any desire for a return. It's the purest form of love that we do. And Luke believes that this is something that Christian people need to struggle with on a daily basis. So think about that, too. Amen. <laughs>